You're listening to Blessed, Living the Good Life According to Jesus, a study of the Beatitudes. For more information, visit our website at crosspointptc.com. they shall receive mercy. And in order to really understand what Jesus is talking about here, we really have to understand the Bible's idea of mercy. The Bible's idea. And so we want to first, we're going to kind of dive into four things. What is mercy? Uh, Why should we be merciful as the people of God, as the church, those that belong to Christ? And how do we become merciful? And then what do we do with it? What do we do with this mercy that we experience? And, and I, I want to say this. The mercy of God is infinite. Let's just put that on, out on the table. And that means it's boundless. That means, like infinity, it never runs out. And, and even right now, as we come into God's presence, as his word is preached, as we listen with our hearts, as his Holy Spirit opens us up, sets our hearts ablaze, we're experiencing the mercies of God to a new level. And that's my prayer. So will you pray with me as we dive into this text? God, we ask that you would show up, that you, the spirit of the living God, would fall fresh on this place, that our hearts would be broken, that you would open our our hearts up to the places in our lives where we're not merciful, the ways that we don't believe your mercy, the ways that we forget your mercy. And as you show us those things, Lord, show us Jesus. God, show us the mercy that we have received in him. And may it capture our hearts, Lord. May it bless us so much that it causes us to be a blessing, that it causes us to be merciful, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me. It wouldn't be my words, but your word, and that our hearts would be strengthened to be your people and to shine your light and put your kingdom on display, not just here in Peachtree City, but in our country and around the world. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So what is mercy? What is this mercy that we're talking about? Mercy is uh, talked about in the Bible over and over again. And one of my favorite parables that Jesus uses to help us understand mercy is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you can find it in Luke 10. And I'm actually going to read the story. I'm going to read it in the message so we can just kind of uh, sit in it. I, I know the picture might be hard for some of you to see in the back, but just look at this picture by Van Gogh of the Good Samaritan, and just notice some of the things. It's a little bit small, but notice some of the things that are happening in this picture as you hear the story. This is from Luke 10. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion in prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, Jesus said. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There once was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he 
angle of the cross to the other side to avoid him. Then a Levite, a religious man, showed up, and he also avoided the injured man. But then a Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Jesus said. Which of these three became a neighbor to the man who was attacked? The one who showed him mercy, the religious scholar responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So what is this mercy? This mercy that Jesus consistently talks about, that it's all throughout the Bible, the narrative of Scripture, you can't miss what, what mercy is. And I was thinking of a good summary, and this really came to my mind. It's compassion in action at a cost. And it, it comes from your heart. It's a compassion where you, where you start loving your neighbor to the same extent that you would love yourself. You basically switch places with your neighbor, and you, you look at their condition and what they're going through, and you say, if I was in your position, this is what I would want someone to do. This is how I would want someone to treat me. And you show compassion, and you put that compassion that's in your heart into action. And the interesting thing about mercy is that it always costs you something. Mercy always costs you something. A good illustration, um, a pastor that I once sat under, under used, he said, uh, imagine someone comes into your home, you have a guest into your home, and they're in your home, and they they... They, they move their elbow by accident, and they break a lamp, a very expensive lamp, a family heirloom, and it falls, and it shatters. You have two options on how you're going to respond to what they have done to you. You can either say, you broke this expensive lamp. You need to pay me back. Or you can say, don't, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. We can get a new lamp. And hopefully the person will say, oh, I want to buy it. But if you're a good host, they'll say, no, no, no. It was an accident. It's okay. That, that's an example of mercy, but remember, there's a cost that was involved in order for that mercy to be given. The, the, the lamp, the cost of that lamp has to be absorbed by the person that is choosing to show mercy to the offender, the one that has broken the lamp. And this is exactly what the Bible talks about when it talks about mercy. It says when you, you, it costs you something. It's a sacrifice. And Jonathan Edwards put it like this. He says, a sacrifice really isn't a sacrifice unless it's a sacrifice. So you are not really bearing someone's burden and really showing mercy unless something is being sacrificed. And so often we view sacrifice here in the West as like, oh, well, I'm giving out of my need. So we, I mean, out of my wants. So we say, you know, I'll sacrifice not having leather seats on my car so that I might be able to give more to those in need. No, you're not really giving out of your need. You're not bearing their burden as you share with someone else. And think about that. Sacrifice really is, if, if in terms of, let's say, showing mercy to the poor, a sacrifice would be saying, and true biblical mercy would be saying, I am going to go halfway hungry so you can be halfway and you've now sacrificed you have borne some of their hunger so they can be halfway full 
And of course, an ultimate sacrifice would be saying, I'm going to let you be fully full, and I am going to completely become hungry. And I'm going to, in fact, give out of everything I have so that you can be full and so that you can experience what it feels like to be full, and I am going to feel hungry. And then you've shown really mercy to a full extent in terms of that scenario. Does that make sense? And this is the biblical mercy that we see all throughout Scripture. This is the the heart of mercy we see in God himself. A mercy that is willing to sacrifice. A mercy that is willing to count the cost. So the question is, so who do I show mercy to? And the answer is your neighbor. And just like that religious scholar, he's like, well, define neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Let's do that. Let's define who, this, who the neighbor is in the Bible. Who is my neighbor? Scripture talks, really says everyone, God brings into your path. It's not just your next door neighbor. It's not just the neighbors that you choose. It's every neighbor. It's every person, human being made in God's image that God sovereignly brings into your path. That is your neighbor. That's who you're called to show mercy and compassion and action to. Everyone God brings to your past. Now, the Bible gives some specifics. In fact, it's so interesting. What Jesus always does is he always likes going to extremes because he, he figures if I can take, set the standard so high, then they'll realize, wow, this standard is so high that there's no possible way that I can do this. And so Jesus is always saying things like, you know, oh, Adultery isn't just cheating on your wife. It's actually lusting in your mind. Or murder isn't just killing someone with your hands. It's actually hating them in your heart. And so he takes sin and he really shows that this is how far it goes. And he does the same thing with righteousness. He says, all right, here's what mercy is. In Matthew 25, he summarizes a lot of the Old Testament and says, the least of these, these are the people that you need to show mercy to if you are mine, if you're part of my kingdom. And and he lays it, He lays it down hard, and this is really hard stuff to hear. Look at some of the things he says. I'm not going to read the whole text. It's Matthew 25, 24 through 46. He talks about the poor and marginalized, the scum of the earth, the people that we create suburbs to try to escape from, the reason why there's such things as gated communities, the reasons why we compartmentalize in our cities and have certain places where only those types of people can live. I know about this. I I was in Newark, New Jersey, doing inner city ministry for seven years, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how in this day and age, how marginalized the poor are and how they were pushed into the city, into these housing projects, surrounded by officers, surrounded by signs telling them to play the lottery, telling them to spend their money on that so the state could get a good chunk of their check back. It's all types of injustice to the poor and the marginalized. And Jesus says, these are the people you show mercy to, the hungry and the thirsty, over and over again, the hungry and the thirsty. Jesus said, what you do to them, you do to me. He talks about the sick and the hurting. He talks about those in jail, those that are suffering in jail. He doesn't say justly or unjustly. He says those that are in jail, visiting those that are in jail. He talks about foreigners, the immigrant community, those that are here, those that aren't documented. Show mercy to them. And then he talks about orphans and widows. James 127, it's a a famous verse where James says, this is religion that is pure and undefiled before God. And he says this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And that word that's being used in the Greek, the the New Testament was written in Greek, and when James uses that word, it's an intentional use of that word because this is the same word that is used throughout the New Testament when it describes 
the incarnation, where it describes Jesus coming to visit us. And it, it, has, it takes a lot, it's a lot more connotation than just showing up and saying, hey, how are you doing? Here's, here's an apple pie. I hope you have a nice uh, year. I'll see you next year at Thanksgiving. It's, a, it's busy. It's to share life with. It's to come into, to help them, to, to, to truly spend yourself, as Isaiah 58 talks about, to give yourself to sacrifice for the sake of really, when you look at all these people, these types of people, people that can't pay you back. People that can't give you anything. This is the mercy that Jesus calls us to. And really, if you are merciful to the least of these who can't give anything back to you, then, then you can be merciful to anyone. If, if, if God is able to work that type of mercy in your heart, then I, I really believe this. I really believe that he'll be able to help you have mercy toward your coworker and toward the other people that God might bring in your life or toward that person that is just so hard for you to love because they just annoy you so much. God, if, if he can work in your heart through the power of Christ and his spirit working in you to have mercy on the least of these, then he can definitely give you strength and all the other people in your life right now that you are struggling to show mercy to. So this is what mercy is. I, uh, I got to experience mercy when I was 17 in a very important way in my story. Someone showed me radical mercy. I grew up as a missionary kid in Japan. There's actually nine kids in my family, so I'm just continuing the family tradition. You know, my dad trained me well. He brainwashed all of us. He said, the best way that you're going to impact the world and make disciples is have lots of kids, sharpen those arrows, stick, you know, shoot them out into the world. And so I've got brothers and sisters all over the world, India, Bangladesh, um, here in Atlanta, uh, Virginia, and all of us are missional. All of us are living on mission. All of us have big families, so... He succeeded in his mission. My dad, but, but we grew up in Japan, and we were in a country where uh, there's no Christians, literally. Like, my, my friends in Japanese school, I grew up, you know, lower-income minority. In a Jap- I was the only white kid besides my brother in this Japanese school, and, like, they would beat me up because my hair was blonde and my nose was big. And we're here loving these people, starting a church in the city where in the history of the world there had never been a church. We, we didn't know of any church that had ever existed in this particular part of Japan. And I mean, it was so lost that my friends thought Jesus was an American celebrity. They had no idea who Jesus was. And so we're here showing mercy. You know, I, I really struggled. I, I knew the gospel. I, I, my dad and mom are awesome. They taught us the word. We, we would hear it. We had family worship at night. I memorized the verses, but I really, uh, at age 12, kind of got into some stuff. And um, I knew how to fake it. I knew how to kind of live dualistically. I could, I could put on my, my pastor's son mask when I was at home and when I was in the church with them. And, you know, Japan, you have to understand, is a very shame-based society. And so the firstborn, which I am, represents the whole family and really represents the honor of the father. And so as the firstborn, I, would, I knew that I had to not shame my father, so I knew how to fake it really, really well. But when I was 17, it all kind of came full circle. The light kind of shone, and I got busted doing something pretty stupid, and I ended up in the principal's office suspended and utterly shaming my family. And in my uh, Asian 
uh, conscience, you know, uh, I, I really am Asian. Uh, people say I'm an egg, you know, I'm white on the outside, yellow on the inside. Um, that's where I grew up, you know, so that's my, my home. And I, I, I felt so much shame that I'd shame my dad because I knew everyone was going to know that his firstborn son had just utterly dishonored him. And everyone was going to know what I did. Uh, my junk was going to come out in front of everyone. And I was so ashamed. And I remember sitting there in the principal's office. And the principal hands me the phone. Hey, Dad. He said, man, you got suspended? I said, yeah. He said, what did you do? Well, uh, I'll tell you when I get home. It was just quiet. And he said, son, I want you to know, no matter what it is you've done, no matter how bad, that I, I love you just the same. Because that's how Christ has loved me. And I sin against him every day. And he said, get on the train and come on home. I love you, son. And that mercy, because I realized the weight of the mercy. I realized what had happened. I had shamed him. He had every right. He had every right to scream at me. He had every right to lay into me on how awful I've been. But instead, he bore the shame, so to say. He loved me more than his reputation because I was his son. And he moved toward me with grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And you know what happened on that train ride home? That's what the Holy Spirit used in my life to ignite redemption. And that's what mercy does. Mercy ignites redemption in us. And as we understand it, it, it burns the flames more and more and higher and higher. And we start growing in our capacity of mercy. And that was, for me, that was the start. That was where the Holy Spirit regenerated my heart, where I was born from above, where I was a new creation. And I know that because all of a sudden I wanted to start following Jesus. And, and it wasn't just a religion anymore that my parents practiced. It became a living faith inside of me. And mercy is what ignited that. Mercy is what ignites it in all of us, if you think about it. And it costs a lot to the person that chooses to show mercy. Like I said, I was in Newark, New Jersey for seven years with my family. We're in the hood doing mercy ministry, really. I ran a nonprofit. We're trying to rescue these gang kids before the gangs get them. And God was doing amazing things. And uh, because of my dad's mercy in my life and other people that have shown mercy in my life, I started to learn how to show mercy a little bit more toward others. And we, we were staying in a house right outside of the, the church building. What we had done is we had taken an old rundown church and turned it into, you know, rebuilt the church into a community center and a youth center and an after-school program. And we were doing all these things right there in the hood. And I remember it was about, about this time in November, about uh, seven or eight years ago, and I walked out, it had been snowing, and there was this man curled up underneath the, the roof of the church. And I looked, and I, at first I just thought it was a, a, a trash bag. And then I realized, no, that's a person. And so I walked over to him, and I said, excuse me, sir, what's, what's going on? And he stood up, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Pastor. Um, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go sleep somewhere else. I said, no, no, uh, I'm, I'm Pastor Danny, what's your name? He's like, oh, my, my name's Frank. And he was about 55-year-old black dude. Um, and as soon as I saw his eyes, I saw this light in his eyes, even though he was freezing and was homeless. He had this light in his eyes. And I was like, I was like, yeah, um, we actually have a room uh, that we, we, we let people stay in, and it happens to be open right now. Would you like to come in? And he came in, 
and started sharing life with my family. And we also had three uh, uh, teenagers off the street who were also staying in the basement. So we had, we had four different guys in our house. We had two kids at the time. And, and Frank started sharing life with us. And we started showing mercy to him and living mercy and experiencing mercy from him, love, love from him too as we just lived life together. And he was able to get a job and get back on his feet. And this brother had one of the most beautiful voices. He started singing in the worship band. It sounded like an angel. And we became good friends and he was growing. He had been in a, he had been in a, a drug program and had recovered and the Lord had been really working in his life. And he'd been clean for a while. Uh, he had grown up as a, as a crack baby. He, I mean, he had never, he never even experienced Christmas. When we had Christmas time, he was like a little kid around the Christmas tree, like, which present's mine? And when he opened his present, he wept. And he sat around the, the table with us and, and sang Christmas carols and ate our feasts and shared life in our family. And it, it was costly to me, but it got really costly when that night, Christmas night, as we were all sleeping, Frank decided to go back to his addiction. He stole a laptop from us and went to sell it to get his crack. And uh, it, was, it was really hard. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. But in my heart, in my heart, the exact opposite happened toward Frank. I didn't have mercy. I had judgment. There was actually a lot of hate. I, I think I should have been angry, but there was a lot of anger. I, I kept saying in my mind, how could you do this to me? I gave you Christmas. I shared my family with you. I, I, I spent so much money. I got you presents. I, I helped you get back on your feet. I helped you get this job. And I kind of went through the list of all the things that I had done for him. How could you repay me like this? And that, that really takes us to the next question. How or why should we be merciful? Why should we be merciful? And the Bible talks about three wrong ways of being merciful. And I just want to hit those really quick before we kind of talk about why the Bible tells us to be merciful or why we should be merciful. The, the first wrong way is that the Bible instructs us to. And I know a lot of people are like, what do you mean? Wait, the Bible tells us to, so shouldn't we obey it? Yes, of course we should obey it. But that shouldn't be the primary motive that drives us. In fact, that's really what every religion teaches. Every religion teaches, oh, you should be merciful. But the, the goal of being merciful really is, I have to somehow achieve uh, God's pleasure. And if I'm merciful, then I'm going to somehow receive something from God. And so really, we, we, we make God into like our cosmic vending machine. Like, if I do this, if I show acts of mercy, or if I love the poor, or if I do these things, then God owes me. Then God owes me an output. He's got to give me what I want. And every religion does this across the board, but that's not what the Bible does. That's not what the gospel does. And I've heard this said before, and I want to push back on this. People call the Bible B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And I just want to say no. No, no, no. That's a bunch of BS. <laughs> that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is primarily a story, a redemption story. And the goal isn't primarily to know the instruction so that you can leave earth. God isn't interested in getting us out of earth and getting us out of hell and into heaven. He's actually interested in getting heaven into us. That's what he's about. That's what the whole story of the Bible is about. And the, goal, the whole purpose of the Bible and the reason we read the Bible, the reason we know the Bible, of course we want to know the instruction. We want to know what our king wants us to do. We want to know how to please God. But the purpose, the primary purpose of, of God revealing us his word is so that we can know the story and know him, the hero of the story, know Jesus, the hero of the story, and follow Jesus, this, and love Jesus, the hero of the story, 
and also know our part in the story. And that's what God's word does. And as we dive into his word, that's what it, it's doing for us right now as we look at what he's about. And so as we dive in, as we look at these, the, the, the reasons why we are called to show mercy, I want us to also remember that there are rewards, but we don't do it for the rewards. We don't do it to get rewarded. We don't think that if I do this, God will bless me. If I'm more merciful, then I'll be able to get what I want, that God will owe me somehow. So here we go. I've got a, um, an acronym, because acronyms help us remember things, right? And the acronym is IMAGE. And so we're going to run through this really quick. I, IMAGE. This is why we show mercy, because every human being has intrinsic value. Humanity is blessed by God as his image bearers. We see this right at the start. When he creates humanity, God himself says, I bl he blesses them. That's the first thing he does. Look at this verse. He created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God, right from the start, to his image bearer, says, you are, are blessed. You are made in my image. You have value. And that right there is why we show mercy to fellow human beings. Because every single person has value, no matter who they are, because they're creating God's image. And every human being is made for a purpose. We have a purpose. We are made to spread his glory over the earth, to make Yahweh's name great, to show his glory. We see this all throughout scriptures. Uh, Habakkuk talks about the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. As, as the water covers the sea, this picture of God's glory spreading over the whole face of the earth and that he created us, humans, for that purpose so that we can spread his glory over the face of the earth. It's fascinating, um, Isaiah, when he talks about this, the darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And a lot of these verses, a lot of the image-bearing theology we didn't really understand until we started discovering uh, near, with uh, Near Eastern culture. The ancient Near East culture actually uses this language. And remember, Moses, who was writing that Genesis 1 text, Moses is using the language of his day. And he's a prince in Egypt, he's super educated, and he's using this language to describe God cre creating humans and commissioning them to spread over the whole earth. And the interesting thing about this is this is exactly what Pharaoh or any monarch of the day would do. <clears throat> any king, when he would conquer a territory to show his rule, the first thing he would do would put up an image of himself. And when people would see that image, they would realize this image is there for a purpose, to, to point to the monarch, the king, and show that this king is the one that's in control. This is the one that I serve and submit to. This is the one whose glory fills this land, so to say. And so that image carries glory because it points to the source of the glory. And every human being creating God's image is created to show his glory, to, to, to cover the earth and show that God is king, that Yahweh is the Lord. Now, when we damage an image, and that's the first thing that happened when Saddam Hussein was overthrown. Do you remember what happened? What did they do to his image that was in the center of the city? They pulled it down. And so what this text is telling us is when we, when we abuse other human beings, when we 
verbally or physically, when we murder, when we cut down other human beings, even sin, sinful ones, we're all sinners, even when we, even if they don't deserve, even if they deserve it, when we hurt human beings, we are defaming God. Because every human being was made for a purpose. We do know this though, alienated by sin. I'm sorry to yell at you, buddy. I'm not yelling at you. Alienated by sin. We're merciful because humanity needs it. We've all been alienated from God and each other. We've been corrupted by sin. And because of sin, because of our selfishness, because of our narcissism, we are unable to fulfill our purpose to show God's glory. Mercy is what ignites redemption. And so we show mercy because this world desperately needs it. How else is it going to change? How else are people going to know Jesus unless mercy is put on display, unless the mercy of God is put on display through the people of God? And this is how. This is God's plan for and why we as his people are called to show mercy. I got to go through these fast. God's will. Mercy is God's means of accomplishing his original purpose, to spread his glory and to bring us the ultimate joy. And so he calls us to, to be merciful because he is merciful. He calls us to even love our enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. And look at E. This is where we go in. We show mercy because it has been embodied and exemplified in the person of Jesus Christ. This is, this is the motivation. This is what will capture our hearts. This is what will allow us to put our idols, our selfishness aside and engage in a merciful life is as we realize the mercy of Christ that has been embodied, as we realize this, that the word became flesh, that Jesus, the son of God, God put on skin. He came into our hood. He came into our brokenness. He didn't stand far off. He showed up and he shows up and dwells among us so that we can see his glory, so we can experience his glory, and so that we can now share his glory. Look at what else he does. Jesus, he's made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is, this is where the cost comes in of mercy. Do you realize that in order for God to show you mercy, in order for God to be able to save you, he had, he had to pay the price that your sin debt has caused. You see, every single one of us, as we have turned away from God and wanted to be our own gods, as we have walked away from him and our enemies in our mind, like Colossians 1 talks about, and have chosen our own ways, chosen to want to be our own functional deities, God, he has to punish sin. He's perfectly loved, but he's also perfectly just. That means he has to punish sin. There is a cost associated with your rebellion. But the mercy of Christ, the beautiful thing that he does is he comes in and he's made like us in every respect. He lives the life that we couldn't live. He perfectly obeys God. Jesus perfectly honors the Father. He never shames the Father like I shamed my Father. He perfectly honors the Father. And then he goes to the cross. He lays down his life and he takes the punishment that we deserve. He takes the justice that should be poured out on us. And so now that's all that's left from God is love. 
And now God is no longer our judge. We can call him Father. And we have sonship. We're part of the family of God. And this is what, this is what has to drive us. This is the only thing that can drive us. This is the only thing that will set our hearts on fire to show mercy when we realize, realize and believe that the mercy of Jesus ignites redemption. First Peter talks about this. We've been called out of darkness into his light, and now we get to shine that light. We're a chosen priesthood. I love this quote from St. Augustine. Christ came chiefly for this reason, that we might learn how much God loves us and might learn, to, learn this to the end, that we begin to glow with love of him by whom we were first loved. And so might love our neighbor at the bidding and after the example of him who made himself our neighbor by loving us. This is the thing that, the only thing that's enabling the people that are moving into Grove Park right now into this inner city community to begin loving their neighbors. This is the only thing that's going to help the the people in my community begin to reconcile. It's the only thing that's going to bring about racial reconciliation in Atlanta, where we're integrated but still so segregated, and where Sunday morning, unfortunately, is still the most segregated day of the week. This is the only thing that's going to bring that reconciliation that's going to allow us to have mercy and have hearts of mercy toward others. This really leads into how we become merciful. How do we become merciful? I want to, I want to first ask a question. This is where we're going to close off with. How does someone get good at football? Practice. I'm surprised you didn't say you sit in a room and you have someone teach you all about football and teach you the history of football and, and show you video clips of football. That's not how someone gets good at football. They have to go on the field. You know, we have this thing in our country called fantasy football. You know, imagine if, um, what's your name? Imagine if Hunter came up here. Actually, Hunter, come on up here, man. Imagine if Hunter uh, comes up and he's like a fantasy football guru. He's making mad money off of fantasy football. He's got the best team. He's winning all the time. And he comes up here and he tells everyone, guys, I have a new career. I'm a football player. You, you would look at him, you'd be like, dude, you're not a football player. He's like, no, I'm a football player. I make money off of it. I know everything about the game. I'm a football player. You say, no, man, you're a fantasy football player. And a lot of us live in a world called fantasy Christianity, where we know all about God in our heads. We can tell you all these verses about mercy and about what Jesus did, and we know theology, and then we have our rock star pastors that we love, and we watch videos, and we know church history, but we're still, we're not on the field. So how do you become merciful? You, you practice mercy. You, you practice mercy. And that, 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 that comes out in a lot of different ways in our life as we practice mercy. I want to I share what I want to call the cycle of blessing and really what this text is talking about, that, that when it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Because at first glance, it looks like, all right, so Jesus, you're saying that if I'm merciful to someone, then you'll be merciful to me. And that's not what he's saying at all. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying your blessing is tied up as you live out mercy because you begin to actualize and realize the mercy of God. Just as we, uh, when, when we practice in football, we start learning the game and are able to then become more of what football was intended to be. In the same way as we begin practicing mercy, we begin understanding and comprehending more fully the mercy that God has for us. As we practice it and it blesses others and puts God's kingdom on display to others, 
uh, we, we also practice mercy, we are blessed, and we begin to experience God's mercy to new levels. And this leads us into a deeper level of repentance, a deeper level of faith, a deeper level of obedience, a deeper level of awe at the mercy of God. And this is, this is what's so beautiful about all the ways that God gives us to be able to practice mercy. That the, the, the poor person that you just sovereignly put in your life, that annoying kid in your family, that cousin, that coworker, you think those people are there by accident? No, God has sovereignly put them in your life so you can practice mercy so that you can more fully understand his mercy. Because as you understand his mercy, guess what happens? Hashtag blessed. As you understand his mercy, blessing becomes more real in your own life. It becomes a defining, it become, starts to change you. And I, I came up with a cool graphic that I'm actually pretty proud of here. And I use the recycle symbol, so you can call this a green sermon. But the cycle of blessing. And this is what happens. Someone decides to show mercy to you. I mean, God, God's the ultimate one that shows mercy. But what's the primary way that we all came to Christ? Wasn't it through another human being sacrificially showing mercy toward us, either with taking their time to share the gospel with us or spending their money on us or bailing us out of something and showing us mercy? And so that's what happens. Mercy ignites or uh, mercy ignites redemption. And so you see this, this, this blessed life in the middle here is caught on fire and a flame begins. There's regeneration. The Holy Spirit does this. And as the Holy Spirit does that and we start being sanctified, what happens is our hearts begin to change. And how can we not show mercy when we've received mercy? That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 18, doesn't he? He says about the unmerciful servant that was forgiven so much, but yet uh, he wouldn't even show forgive someone else $10, even though he was forgiven a million dollars. And yet he was still critical and judgmental of, of some other human being. And Jesus says, no, he hasn't really experienced mercy. When you experience mercy, you live mercy. That's how you know you're a Christian, because you have a merciful heart, because all of a sudden you have compassion in your heart when you see the brokenness of someone else. And you know the Holy Spirit in you is like, show mercy to them, show the mercy of Christ to them. And that's what we do. As we show mercy to someone else, it ignites mercy in them. And the cycle continues. A disciple is made. And they start becoming merciful. And guess what happens though? As we're practicing mercy, as we enter into this, it's really hard. As we go on the field and we get beat up and we drop passes, we start getting better at it. We start learning what mercy is. And we start realizing more fully. And that little gear there on the graphic is like God is working mercy into our hearts more and more and more. And we're seeing, wow, his mercy is so great. And it starts, what Jack Miller talks about starts happening. We start and Jack Miller says, cheer up, cheer up. You're far worse than you could ever imagine. Your, your sin is far greater than you could ever imagine. And you are in more need of mercy than you could ever imagine. You know, we, we automatically think, I don't really need mercy as much as that person. And now the, the Bible says, yeah, you do. In fact, your, your sin is, is so dark. Even your most righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And that word in the Hebrew is actually female menstrual floss. So that's basically what our good deeds are. Nasty, right? But that's what they are. And and, and scripture says, as, as we understand the mercy of God, as we understand the mercy of God, we also begin to see how dark our hearts are. It's almost like an astronomer looking at a telescope, and they're looking up at the sky, and they discover these stars, and they're like, wow, I know more about the universe than I've ever known in my life. But then they realize, wow, there's more behind there. And that's what happens with our sin. We start realizing, wow, 
I am so much more selfish than I ever imagined. I'm so much more prideful than I ever imagined. Wow, I'm so much more judgmental and critical than I ever imagined. And we start realizing, man, I'm worse off than I ever imagined. I need mercy more than I ever imagined. Because we're discovering that in other people, right, as we interact with others. And this is where the second cheer up. Cheer up. God's grace is far greater than you could ever imagine. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes your sin from you. He has shown you such an amazing, eternal mercy that will, will literally love the hell out of you. It will literally love the hell out of you. It'll change you. It can't help but change you. And it sets your, your fire ablaze. And it, it catches you on fire. And you become more and more about God's glory and about his kingdom and about others knowing him and about others experiencing his mercy and not just about your freaking self. That's what happens when this gospel sinks in. And that's what happens to our, what happens to our world when this happens. We start having a green world. We start having a blessed world. And we start being blessed ourselves. We start experiencing blessing to new levels. So what about Fred? I'm sorry, Frank. His name is actually Fred, but I use Frank because I don't want to embarrass him, but I just said his name. So sorry, Fred, if you ever hear the sermon. Um, what about Fred, my friend Fred? As I was sitting in that moment, in my own brokenness, in my own unmerciful heart that could not forgive him. You see, my moral capacity wasn't enough to allow me to say I, I, I can forgive him. My moral capacity wasn't enough. I couldn't will myself to forgive him because he had, he had, he had injured me so much. It would just cost me too much to be able to forgive him. So what happened? What happened to Fred? As I sat there, the mercy of God mercy of God that will not let us go, that keeps coming after us. The Holy Spirit whispers. He says, Danny, don't you see? You are Fred. You're no different than him. You can't judge him. And in, in that soft voice that God speaks to us, in a gentle voice, he says, Danny, I gave you Christmas. I gave you a family. I gave your sins spent so much on you. I've shown you mercy. And yet every day you you steal from me with the way you use your time, with the way you use your resources, with the way you use your energy and the talents that I gave you. You live so much for yourself. And even you doing this act of mercy for Fred and you know the Holy Spirit just convicts you of your sin and just reminded me of all the ways that I had been boasting about this good deed of mercy. And I was actually using Fred so often to make myself feel good about myself. And he was just, and it hit me hard. It convicted me. And I realized, and, and it led me to repentance. And you see, repentance isn't a bad word. Repentance is a good word. Repentance is where we say, God, God you have something so much more for me, and I've settled for something far less. And that's exactly where God wanted to take me through this part of my story. He wanted me to realize that, Danny, you can't love Fred. You can't show mercy. Only I can do that. And you have to realize my mercy to you so that you can show mercy to Fred. And that's exactly what happened. I found myself forgiving him. And it was beautiful. I was so blessed. I was, and as I was forgiving him, I was experiencing God's mercy in new, fresh ways. And what was so amazing, six months later, when I heard a knock at the door and I opened the door, and there was Fred. His head was down. He was ashamed. He didn't want to look me in the eyes. And as I lifted his face 
that looked him in the eyes, his bright eyes. How you? I told him I loved him. I forgave him. I felt like I was hugging Jesus. Like that happened. I felt like Jesus was hugging me and telling me, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. And as I hugged him, and we cried, the Spirit was there. God was worshipped. My life was changed to be a little bit more like Jesus' life. His life was changed a little bit more to be like Jesus. We both learned a whole lot about mercy. We both received mercy. We both were blessed by mercy. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.